You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to Blank Scenario. I am your host, Marie, and we are back with another episode and actually our last episode of Blank Monster. In a Blank Monster segment, I go through the monster manual and try to find two or three monsters I think are underused or overused and give you a couple of new ideas on how to use them in games at home. We have been working our way through the 5th edition monster manual, letter A to Z, and we are actually at the end of the book, and we are doing the letter Z this week. If you've been following along with your own copy, you know exactly what monster we're going to cover, because there's only one. If you haven't, you probably can still guess it. There's very few monsters in D&D that start with the letter Z. We are going to be talking about the zombie. Now, I really like zombies in fiction, I could not tell you why because I was not a horror fan for the longest time, but I love zombie stories primarily for the situations that it forces the characters into because zombies are a force of nature. They're not really intelligent. They don't, well, they should not be intelligent. I will say that because there are zombie stories where they do that, but in general, they're not intelligent. They're just there to force the players and characters into scenarios that make them make choices. So... All that said, let's jump into it. D&D has for zombies and they'll do some scenarios for them because I do have scenario ideas. I'm not just bringing these up because it's the end of the chapter. So first off, zombies are created through necromantic magic, um, dark magic that infuses the remains of a dead, bringing it back to life, kind of. They move with jerky, uneven gait, and they have the physical appearance of whatever they look like in life with whatever decay has built up on them. Whatever identification they had, any wounds, any markers, anything like that on them, they still have. They actually will have weapons still. They're holding them and can use them. But the person they were before or the thing they were before is gone. Zombies become a brand new creature. And aside from very powerful magic, the original person will not be coming back with the zombie in any form. They can be brought back two ways through necromantic magic. Either in an area that is just filled with that much dark magic, they might spontaneously be created from corpses, which means they are basically just mindless killing machines. If there's nothing to kill, they will just stand and wait. Or they can be created by a person. And if that's the case, they are actually controlled by the creator. They can follow simple commands, (laughs) but they don't have intelligence otherwise. So they can identify friend and foe, mostly. So your best bet is to tell them to kill this person, don't kill me, and just let them have fun with it. They will take the most direct route for any objective you give them, which makes it very easy for them to be led into traps, such as walking off the edge of a cliff. Again, not very intelligent, but zombies are really good for cannon fodder, and also just great for forcing your players into situations that they need to be strategic, or they have to make choices as to what they want to risk. In the 5th edition book, we do have three stat blocks for zombies because, as we discovered with a lot of our undead Sayer-type creatures, anything can become a zombie. Literally anything. If it was alive, it can be a zombie. We have a stat block for a medium humanoid creature. This is going to be basically any of your standard races. You can use this to kind of come up with a zombie and just fill in with description. We have an ogre zombie, so if you need a bigger creature to fight this undead. And we also have the Beholder Zombie, which is my personal favorite, although it is a pain to fight. 
And the Beholder Zombie also will show you just because it's dead doesn't mean it has nothing it can do because a zombie Beholder can still disintegrate you. It still has its eye stalks and those are not intelligent magic. They are an innate ability that it can just use randomly, right? So it's not deciding what to use. It's just doing stuff. So to create a zombie, you can take any creature from the monster manual, take away the intelligent based abilities. So anything it has to decide when to use, leave only anything kind of instinctual or automatic and you now have a zombie ready to go, and your players may not know what to expect with it. If you need more ideas on how to make a zombie, the past editions have a lot of templates that you can use to help adjust stats. Um, you will have to translate to 5th edition, obviously, if you're using that, but it's a good guide. Plus, in 4th edition, there are several zombie types. They kind of describe them as tactics, but types, I think, works better. My favorite is... The one that will beat people to death because that's a specific thing it does. There's one that throws necrotic acid at people. If you've seen any zombie movie such as Daryl Dixon in the past 10 years, you've probably seen zombies do that. And you have frost zombies. Zombies that use cold damage to incapacitate and kill foes. So there is a wide array of zombies you can use, not just, oh, they're undead, stumbling towards you, run. You can still use those, absolutely. Don't get me wrong, they're still great. But if you want to mix it up or if you need something specific for an area, there is a lot of room to create a zombie that's unique but still undead and mindless. That's kind of the main pool for zombies. As long as it's undead and it doesn't have intelligent thought, you're good. All that said, let's jump into some scenario ideas for them. The first scenario has your party in a battle. Now, this battle needs to be lasting at least a couple of days. doesn't have to be super long. But what's happening is every time someone dies, they come back as a zombie for the enemy. The enemy has something that is bringing the dead back for their side. So your party is being sent off as a scout and a recon group to figure out how they're doing this and to stop them. The goal is to destroy the source or the person doing this. While it may not destroy the zombies, it at least destroys the control and the amassing of more soldiers. If the zombies are loose, they're just going to go on a killing spree and you can just do cleanup later. But as long as the other side is creating zombies, you're going to be fighting a losing battle. You can't win that. It's just more things to kill and more things dying and coming back. That's a bit more the standard trope of zombies, I realize, but is more of we're going to sneak through the zombie army that's guarding the camp which is going to be a lot of stealth rolls because you really don't want to fight every single zombie you see. And it's going to take a lot of time and energy. The second scenario goes back to our lovely Beholder zombie. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Beholders are very paranoid. <laughs> it's one of the first things you learn about them when you read them in the Monster Manual. But the Beholder will put traps into its lair. One of the traps could be Becoming a zombie. So your party will have heard about a beholder dying specifically. This needs to be the key point. Whether it's from the group that killed it or maybe through a grapevine, whichever way. Your party has heard, hey, there's a dead beholder. We took some loot, but we didn't take it all because we didn't know it was trapped. So we left. So they know there is a layer full of very powerful magical items. And your rogue will be very excited about this. Probably your wizard as well. And the whole party might want to go, hey, let's get some free loot by just checking for traps. How hard can it be? 
Well, when they see a floating beholder, it's going to get very difficult. This beholder, to achieve immortality, set a trap to where if it was killed, it would come back as a zombie. Now, it kind of worked. It is technically undead. It has no thought process, though. So it's not a beholder anymore. It is a zombie. But it still has its eye stalks. So your party has to decide how long they want to stay in there and how much they want to risk to get those items. They can still get magical items, absolutely. But as a GM, I would treat this as here is the risk reward you have to go through to get the bigger and better items you have to go deeper in, which puts you at more risk of running into the zombie. And beholder zombies will not stop chasing you when you leave the lair. So you need to be very careful on how you get out as well as getting in. And our last scenario goes kind of wild west <laughs> because I could not think of any other terms than lawman and deputy. But you have a rumor that there is a lawman who's taking out the local mob, mafia, gang, whatever you want to call them. But they cannot legally stop him. And I would specifically put your party in the town with him during one of these hits to make sure they see what is truly going on to make an assessment of the situation. This lawman had a deputy or a partner that was killed by this group, the mafia that he's going after. And he decided, I'm going to take them down. And to make sure they can't legally come after me, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to bring back my partner as a zombie and he's going to do it. So he found that legal loophole that says, you can't touch me legally. They can still go after him because, you know, they can send people to kill him. But there's no legal recourse for him not to be doing this. So your party will have to decide, do they help the lawmen in taking down this evil group? Maybe they're working for the group and getting paid to kill the lawmen and the zombie. Or they can decide to wait it out and see how far he goes. That's why I say specifically put your group in the town with the lawmen. Because they will see the full force of what he's doing to know he could very quickly turn on the wrong person. And so he's just a time bomb waiting to go off. If he has anyone get in his way... He will send a zombie after them, which means bystanders could be in the line of fire. So you need to make it clear that if you do nothing, bad things will eventually happen, right? You need to make sure they understand that before they decide to do nothing. They still can, but, you know, the moral consequences on them at that point. So that is three scenarios for the zombies. And we are officially done with the monsters and monster manual. To close out the episode in the series, I did want to cover something else in Monster Manual. The Monster Manual has the main monster sections, A to Z, and at the back, we have a couple of appendixes. We have Appendix B, which covers NPCs, so this would be non-playable characters such as druids, gang leaders, nobles, soldiers, things like that that your players can interact with both socially and in combat. And Appendix A covers the miscellaneous creatures. These are creatures that are too minor to really get a full section in the main bulk of the book, but do have a stat block that you could use in combat and a couple abilities to keep in mind. And I wanted to cover just a couple of them that I thought were very cool that I feel like are probably used, but could be used more within D&D. And honestly, all of them are fantastic. There's not really a monster in the miscellaneous creature section that I would not want to put in a game somewhere. Badger has a stat block, so you could really just have fun with this whole section if you wanted to. Let's jump into the first one. We have the Axe Beak, and this is literally what it sounds like. <laughs> um, when I first heard this, I immediately thought of the chicken and Quest for Camelot, 
that gets combined with an axe and is literally a chicken with an axe beak. And it's kind of that, just larger and a lot meaner. It is a tall flightless bird with a heavy wedge-shaped beak. So imagine an ostrich, or what is it that's really mean, like in Australia, I can't remember the bird now, that really mean bird from Australia. Imagine that, but bigger and tougher, that's what you have. Now, you might think, well, what do you do with this? This is a really good creature for a random encounter in a field or plain because they are easy to kill. They only have, you know, 19 hit points. So high-level parties, not going to worry about them. But for a random encounter, just coming across a flock of these would be scary, and your party has to decide how badly do we want to cross that territory that they're in, right? Most of these are kind of that way. It's a nice creature for random encounters that you don't normally think of, but would be really fun for just having the party run into and deal with and having as basically a way of helping remind this is a fantasy world. There are weird creatures out there. You know, it's not just a wolf that's attacking you again. You know, it's something different. And it's also something that is not going to just be a party wipe. You know, it's a minor encounter. You can have some fun with it. Maybe this creature is worth something somewhere. Maybe it's a menace that you're trying to go out and do some, you know, thinning of the herds, whatever you want to be. Fun little creature. Well, fun big creature. That sounds as scary as it is. <laughs> Second bird we're going to talk about is very similar in how to use it. This is the Bloodhawk. And it gets its name from crimson feathers on its wings, as well as a very vicious nature. Again, a very mean bird, but now we're tiny, it's flying. The reason I mention this one is because if it's an aggressive bird, it's not going to have a lot of other birds around it. So wherever these things are nesting, if they nest in flock areas, depending upon how territorial you want them to be, it might be very quiet where they are, or it might be very loud <laughs> because they're saying, hey, go away. And flying enemies are very, very hard to hit. And these things do get pack tactics. So fighting them is not going to be a walk in the park. You might want to just run through or not bother with them as well. Um, again, you could use these as maybe they're worth something. The feathers might be really good for archery. You know, if you want to throw something like that in there as far as a story element or a world element. Or it could be that cool thing of having a blood feather in your hat. But it's a little bit different encounter you can add in there if you're in a forest area or even anywhere trees. Maybe a city's been having an infestation of these things and are taking over. So rather than pigeons, we have bloodhawks coming in that you have to deal with, right? So bloodhawk is another creature that I think would be really good for random encounters or adding in as a story element. Very simple creature. Again, seven hit points. Not hard to kill, but it is flying, which makes it a challenge. Our next monster, or next creature technically, is the Death Dog. This is actually a monstrosity. It's a little bit tougher than the other two, but not by much. It is a two-headed, medium-sized dog. So imagine a wolf with two heads, but very mean-looking. That has a taste for humanoid flesh. <laughs> so good luck having it avoid you. But the cool thing about this one is its bite will actually cause a person to become diseased and start losing hit points. There's a lot of things that can cause this in D&D. Um, again, I always go back to mummies with mummy rot, which is the coolest ability I think that's underused. That's what this thing is doing. If you're not cured, you start losing hit point maximum and eventually you're getting weaker and weaker. So low level party members, well, yeah, you can kill it. You might not want to get bit by it. And even if you only have one or two that's going after your party, it's still going to be a bit of a problem. 
The next creature is a very cute one, actually, that I think would be fun to have in game as a pet. The flying snake. Flying snakes have kind of made a little bit of comeback as more of the jungle scenarios have been coming out, I think. But the main reason I bring them up is, one, it's a flying snake. It, it's just fun, right? It can be a messenger. So you could have a message service that is competing with the local pigeon service. And is you know, you got snakes flying around, pigeons flying around, ravens flying around, mechanical owls flying through the air. All kinds of messengers could be in the city and they're all competing. Fun little idea you can have in there for a scenario seed. But they're also poisonous. You could have that be a natural defense of we need to intercept this letter. Well, birds are just birds, right? They're not really going to do much to stop you. But a flying snake could be trained that anyone who's not its handler gets bit. So to get that letter, you're going to take poison damage. And that can be annoying because that can be hard to heal for low-level party members. Again, not a major story hook, I'm, I realize, but it's a fun way of using this creature. It's not just, ah, oh, it's a cute little snake. <laughs> but having it be where to intercept it, you have to risk getting bit. And it can also be trained to just attack in general. And because it's a tiny creature, you can't just hit it when it flies by you. It is really hard to hit. <laughs> it has an 18 dexterity. So you got to roll pretty good to knock this thing out of the air in the first place. And the last creature we're going to talk about is probably the most out there. I ended up skipping all of the giant creatures and all the swarms because I do love them, but we do use them a lot in D&D already, so they've, they've got their place. This creature, though, we need to use more often. This is a rhinoceros. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's a rhinoceros. What are we going to do with this? I will ask you to please watch the clip from Black Panther where the Wakandan army comes in riding rhinoceros. When I saw that in theaters, I just about flipped because I should have seen it coming, and I did not. And it is the coolest thing ever. If you are playing a knight and that is not a steed choice you considered, you should. Because it is basically a tank. It has a 21 strength and a charge ability. So it can knock down basically anything. This is a living battering ram. So for any war siege you have going on, forget elephants. You want a rhinoceros going into this thing. And it has a gore tactic, so it can just run and start stabbing people as you're running, and you can be on his back slashing at people. Again, such a cool tactic. And if you're fighting this thing, that would be terrifying. It'd be so scary to see this large thing charging at you going, I'm in an alleyway. Can't dodge, because there's nowhere to go. Such a fun monster, and it's not even a monster, it's a real world creature. That again, we have wolves in D&D, you might as well use something else. Rhinoceros is a fun thing you don't run to every day. So I encourage you to consider using that in your next War Siege and or for your next Knight character as a steed. And that said, <laughs> we're going to end this series on the strangest creature I could think of, even though we talked about zombies. But that concludes our Blank Monster series so far. Um, we have made it all the way through the Monster Manual for 5th edition A to Z plus miscellaneous creatures. If I've missed any monsters that you wanted me to talk about, let me know. I can do either a follow-up episode or I might just post something on Facebook and Instagram just to say, hey, here's some cool ideas and some fun pictures. And if you use any of the ideas I've talked about in this series, let me know as well how it went. If you have any ideas you would do for another monster, specifically the zombies, because those are always fun, let me know that as well. And we'll probably be coming up with an update on the channel here soonish. We've been a little bit sporadic on uploads, I know, but that'll be explained in the update. And until then, I will see you next time.
Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy.